As we prepare to hear God's word today, um, I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles with me to the book of Exodus chapter 12. This morning we're looking at the idea of the Lord's Passover memorial. So we're going back to the institution of the Passover, way, way back in the book of Exodus, while the children of Israel are still in Egypt, still in slavery, and there's something rich about this. We look back and we look at what God did there, and the way that it in some sense pictured, prefigured, and prepared for what Christ would accomplish, even as he takes that last Passover that he observes with his disciples and indicates to them as they take it how the things that they are participating with there represent him and what he will accomplish in his blood. So if you're in Exodus with me, let me read a few of the opening verses and then we'll pray and begin to dig into this together. I'll begin reading for us in verse 1. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, in the land of Egypt. This shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's house, a lamb for a household. And if a household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, and you shall make account for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Verse 7. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the house in which they eat. They shall eat flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roast it, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And then you shall let none of it remain till morning. Anything that remains till morning, you shall burn. In this manner, you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Let's pray. Lord, as we uh, pray at this time, and as we desire to consider and understand the Lord's Passover, that you instituted this for the people in the Old Testament, and then in your Son, in this event, you took it up, and you placed upon these memorial elements greater significance that draws our attention to Christ. Lord, we pray that you would bless our consideration of it this morning. As always, our, uh, my, my plea to you is that you would help us never to just come here to go through the motions and to do church. But we come to genuinely worship you. We come together with the confidence of the acceptance and access that we have because of Jesus Christ. The surety of forgiveness that is ours because of blood. And so, Lord, we pray that you would bless this. And as we see kind of your hand 
in your delivering of this particular Old Testament feast to them. Lord, may we see how it points to the greater promises that we have in Christ. And may you deepen our appreciation and worship even today. In Jesus' name, amen. So here when we take up this, uh, this section in Exodus, it's interesting because God has decided here, and he says it at the beginning of the chapter, suddenly... All that you've been doing in your history in terms of how you were keeping your calendar, I'm now changing that. From now on, this is the first month of your year. Now, who gets to say something like that? God tells them, this is how you're going to account for your time. He goes on to tell them, and this is what you're going to do on each day. I'm always astounded when I'm looking and studying the Old Testament and God's interaction with them at the precision and peculiarity of the details. Because I look at those details and sometimes it makes me want to scratch my head. Why? You don't boil any of it. Don't eat any of it raw, which you would never have to say to me anyways. But don't boil any of it and roast it all. With its heads, head, its legs, and its inner parts. I mean, that, to me, that's an odd description. Because I don't know if I would do it any other way. But, but what's interesting and what we've always got to note with this is whether or not it makes sense. I don't see if it makes sense whether there's a head or not. Whether the legs are there or not. I mean, we're going to roast the whole thing. What does it matter if it's a spotless and blemishless animal? In the end, we're not going to be eating any of that wool or fur or hair or any of that stuff that we had seen. So what does it matter? I don't understand what all the significance is. And here's the fun in all that. It's okay if you don't understand. Do you understand what God said? Well, yeah, I understand what he said. I just don't understand why he said it. Don't worry about why he said it. If you know who said it, and you know what he said, you're good. Do that. <laughs> Live that. Act on that. It's, I want us to also understand in this, in keeping this, look with me in verse 14 by way of introduction. I know usually you don't go to the middle of the chapter for introduction. I apologize for that, but you'll see why. In verse 14, it says this. This day shall be for you a memorial day. You shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever and ever. You shall keep it as a feast. The, the reason why this is an introduction is because this feast was going to be to them a memorial it is something that they would do. Now, just so you know, what's a memorial? You're doing something as a memorial or you see a memorial and you go and look at that. And what is that memorial supposed to do? Not necessarily are you merely supposed to look at maybe it's a memorial sculpture of a battle and think, what a beautiful sculpture. I wonder how many hours it took to make it. Is that the design of a memorial? The design of a memorial is to draw your attention 
not to the items themselves, but to turn your heart and mind back to what? Whatever the memorial represents. What, what battle, what wars, what sacrifices, what loss, what needs. A memorial is always designed to, to make our minds return to a fresh and awareness of something. Also, I might note this. If God is going to give something as a memorial, we might want to notice this. One, it's important. Two, if he didn't tell us to remember it and place a, a, a regular feast for them to do, what would probably happen? They'd forget. So memorials are good by design because they keep us from forgetting something that is of very significant importance. So this memorial, it is, it is a token, it is a reminder, and it calls to mind the power and work that God accomplished in that time. also wanted you to see this. It was a memorial feast, verse 14, to the Lord. Even at the end of verse 11, it ended by saying, it is the Lord's Passover. It's important. They keep it to the Lord. The Passover is to the Lord. So the focus, the attention, the glory in the observance of this event was to what? Not themselves, not the people, but their focus and their hearts and their thrill and their remembrance and appreciation should be the person of God, the power of God, their hearts and minds directed to Him. It was a Passover to the Lord. It was a memorial feast to be observed to the Lord. He is the centrality of our focus. And, and part of that memorial, look what it says in verse 27. Now, let's back up to verse 26. When your children say to, say to you, what do you mean by this service? So years would go by, and they would have children, and their children would not have been in Egypt. Years would go by, and their children would not have been in the wilderness. So on through the centuries, when they would have this very strange feast where they had to do things that seemed very odd and, and take a branch and dip it in blood and then spread that blood on the mantle and on the doorposts. I mean, that is weird stuff. And the kids, and, and for seven days, they could not eat any leaven in their bread. And so now their diet has changed for seven days. They're there's a strange practice going on. They're not allowed to go out and work. They're not allowed to do anything. What is going on? The kids are going to say, why are we doing this? And that gives the parents the opportunity to tell, this is why we're doing this. A memorial gives us cause to make mention of what is the reason why. You shall say to them, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. I'm reading verse 27. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshiped. So I just want to look at a, a few simple thoughts this morning that we can observe out of this memorial meal 
that God had given to them. There was a number of days where they would not eat leavened bread, but then there was the specific Passover meal where they would come together and they would take this memorial or token meal. And the first thing I want us to really observe about this meal is that it is a memorial of deliverance. That's the first simple thought that we see this morning. It was a memorial of deliverance. What was the circumstance that the children of Egypt, uh, of Israel were in? Slavery and oppression to Egypt. They had cried out for God. God had raised up Moses and sent him there. And they, this night in which this is taking place, they would be delivered. Listen to what it says. It's a, it's a, a deliverance, first of all, you could say from death and judgment. Two ways in which it's a deliverance. First, it's a deliverance from death and judgment. Look at verse 12 and 13. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and all the on all the gods of Egypt, I will et execute judgments. I am the Lord. Uh, gods oftentimes in, in the historic language isn't a reference to those they worship as much as at times it's a reference to those in leadership over them. They're pharaohs and kings and princes. And indeed in Egypt particularly, they deified, considered a god incarnate, their pharaohs. God will execute judgment on them where even in Pharaoh's house itself, he will not be spared. And verse 13 says, the blood shall be a sign to you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land. So here in this passage, I will execute judgment. I will strike the land. I will kill all the firstborn man and beast. You have death and you have judgment at the hands of God. And yet who's going to be spared? All the children of Israel. As they observe this memorial. As they observe this feast. And, and, and they spread that blood. God is going to see it. So by doing this every year. It is going to be a memorial of deliverance from death and judgment. Because it was that blood that was over the door that would, in a sense, be a sign to pass them by and not bring judgment here. Where the blood was seen, there would be no judgment here. There would be no death here. And I know you're already beginning to see and feel the amazing parallels and even extraordinary parallels to Jesus Christ. Because when his blood is shed and when by the grace of God it is for the forgiveness of our sins. And in a real spiritual sense when his blood is applied to me. You know what that means? God will look upon me. No judgment. No death. Here is righteousness. Here is forgiveness. Here is eternal life. 
not because of anything done by those in the house, but the blood itself was the sign. Remember, all those in the house, there would be kids, there were family members, so that you realized it wasn't the act because many weren't participating in the act of the sacrifice. It was the blood over the house. So it's, that, it's, that, it's not what they did, but those for whom the blood represents or applies. Not only is it a, a memorial of deliverance from death and judgment, it's obviously a memorial of deliverance from slavery. Yeah, go back with me to chapter 11. It's all part of the same passage, right? Somebody later added all those chapters and numbers, all right? That was not part of the originals, but these pieces all go together. 11 verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, yet one more plague I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. And afterward, what? He will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will completely drive you away. Right now, he's got you. Right now, he won't let you go. You've asked and you've asked and you asked, and he won't let you go. When I do this, on the accomplishment of this last one plague, of which there will be a memorial, he will let you go. Slavery is done. Over. In chapter 12, verse 17, it says this, And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. And this way, For on this very day, I brought your host out of the land of Egypt. That very day, it speaks of them being brought out. We sang, He sought me and bought me. With his redeeming blood. We get to say even more than that. He sought me. He bought me. He brought me. He did it all. The grace of God poured out on me. And I'll tell you. We, we talk about this. To be delivered from slavery in Egypt. I'm sure it was a wonderful thing. The tremendous oppression they were under. But how many of them. Experienced that deliverance. And then died in the wilderness. In unbelief. Yeah, but what Christ sets us free from is the freedom of death, the freedom from slavery to sin, the freedom of the judgment that is upon us. And so when we, when we see the memorial and what it represented to them, when we think of the Lord's Supper as he came in, he took these things to higher, deeper, and eternal levels. As rich and meaningful as it was a recollection to them. When we remember our Savior. And Him being sacrificed. And the deliverance that was granted us in Him. Oh, there is no comparison brothers and sisters. Secondly, not only is it a memorial of deliverance. Deliverance from death and judgment. Deliverance from slavery. But it is a memorial of Devotion. Look with me at verses 14 and following. It says this. This day shall be for you a memorial. And you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. As a statute forever and ever you shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. 
on the first day, you shall remove the leaven from your houses. For anyone who eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day, you shall hold a holy assembly. And on the seventh day, a holy assembly. No work shall be done in those days. But what everyone needs to eat, that alone will be prepared. I mean, why I say, say it's a memorial of devotion? Because who set the agenda? Who set the plan? Who set the menu? Who decided what can and cannot be done? It was all God. What if someone comes in and says, yeah, but I've got work to do? Not in these days you don't. Yeah, but I am, you know, after three days, I am tired of unleavened bread. And I want a little yeast. It doesn't really matter if you're tired of it. It doesn't matter if there's things to be done. Because you are to devote yourself entirely to his way. I don't see what the significance is of seven days. Why don't we just make it three? Because he made it seven? Well, I don't see why we've got to have these holy convocations. Because he said it? You see how simple it is? The, the reason it's a memorial of devotion because they had to intentionally and deliberately put aside everything that they normally do. Set aside everything that they might even prefer and enjoy. And they had to do everything God's way and only God's way for seven days. Nothing but God's way. Does he have a right to ask that of us? If we think about it. Uh, he has a right to ask for way more than seven days. Our very life and breath, our hope, everything is from him. If he was to demand every day, would that be outside of the bounds of what he deserves? We owe him everything. But he was calling for them for seven days. And if they did not do that, if someone was to not do that, they were to be cut off from the people. Because not only was this a memorial of deliverance and a memorial of devotion, it was a memorial of distinction. And that's our third thought. And I want us to see this here. A powerful memorial of distinction. Look with me beginning in verse 4. Moses said, thus says the Lord, about midnight I will go out into the midst of Egypt and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die from the firstborn of the Pharaoh who sits on the throne even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and the firstborn of all the cattle. There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been nor ever will be again. But not a dog shall growl against the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes distinction between Egypt and Israel. Whoa. 
That's powerful, isn't it? That you may know the Lord makes distinction. And men begin to rile back a little bit. Wait a second. That's not fair. How dare God make distinctions? God shouldn't show partiality. God shouldn't show preference. And men start to stand on their podiums and say what God should and should not do. Ought and ought not do. What is right and wrong for God? Get off that podium. Get on your knees before the master of all. Because even in this, there's a little mixture. God's going to kill all the firstborn, uh, not only of Pharaoh, all the way down from the highest of the land to the lowest of the land, the, the slave girl in the handmill, but also from their animals. You know, and logically speaking, we start to say, well, what did the Egyptian cows do wrong? What did the cows do so meanly against Israel? And what's the answer? Probably nothing. I'm not aware of intense cow affliction taking place uh, at any place or any time. But what does it do? It tells us God has all rights over life. He gives and he takes away. Blessed be the Lord. No one and nothing has given to God a gift that he should be repaid. It just continues. The scriptures so often assert God's sovereign rights over life and death. God's sovereign rights over kings and kingdoms. Over nations and people. Over salvation and judgment. God is God in all of his power. And he makes distinction. And that's not for us to sit there and say, well, what do you think? Do you think that was right? Do you think that was wrong? Well, how do you feel about that? No, it's for us to say this. Hmm, God made distinction. That's interesting. That's amazing. And in that distinction, one group that, did, that was outside of that distinction experienced death and judgment. <laughs> Those inside not only did not experience death and judgment, but even dogs would not growl against them. It's almost like we might, as we've been studying on Tuesday nights, jump up and say with Romans chapter 8 verse 1, there is now therefore no condemnation in Christ. There's not, there's not the slightest bit of grumbling. There's not the slightest bit of left over on the day of judgment that Christ has not satisfied regarding the wrath of God. The notion that some had come up with years ago, that no, 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 what happens if you die uh, and, and, and you, you sinned and hadn't yet confessed it? Well, you're going to have to go somewhere, maybe we'll call it a purgatory, and you're going to have to suffer for a little while until you paid for that. Huh! Any thought that we suffer a bit is really to say what? The sacrifice of Christ was not sufficient. That's not the case. There will be in this picture not even the grumbling of a dog. When we stand before God, he's not going to say, I have a few things against you, but I'm going to let them go. I'm going to let them slide because... I have mostly righteousness and mostly forgiveness in your account. No, there will be nothing. It will be enter in to the kingdom prepared for you before the foundation of the earth.
Amen. Full and glorious acceptance and welcome in Christ Jesus. Oh, look what it also says in verses 19 and following as we see something of this distinction. It says this, for seven days no leaven is to be found in your houses. And this is one of the reasons why traditionally we generally use leavened, unleavened bread for our Lord's Supper. Because in this context, the leaven was representing something, and it was, it was a denial. Now, interestingly enough, for them, the original picture, why they would uh, have this distinction, let me see, it, it will probably, I'll probably draw your attention to it. Or you can read it within this passage. What happens is this. One of the reasons why he was going to have them have unleavened bread. Is even they would be asking the, the people for bread. And they would have no time to take their dough. And to insert the leaven. And to let it rise. Because God was going to deliver them in haste. And it's just a lot quicker. The preparation. You know, I, I'm not a thorough cook, but in the methodology that they used in that time, when they prepared the dough for a, for a nice risen loaf, that took a while for the dough to be prepared. They had to mix a few things, and then if you were going to put the leaven, you had to put the leaven in, then you had to let it sit for a, for a little while, and it has, whereas they were going to have to leave in haste. So this spoke of having to eat leaven, uh, unleavened bread, it spoke of one, the haste with which God would deliver them. And then further, of course, our minds might also go forward to some of the warnings that we see of Christ uh, in Matthew chapter 16 and Mark chapter 8. And I will just briefly draw your attention to those things. In Matthew 16, it says this, how is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Verse 12 says, Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now I'm going to bring two thoughts in here, because very often we link leaven with sin. And a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And that is a biblical illusion. It is a biblical connection. Leaven is oft connected with sin. But it's also strongly connected with the sin of false teaching and wrong ideas. You are to put out from you, get rid from you, all wrong teachings. The, the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, these false ideas where, they, where they've brought their own notions, their own ideas, their own traditions and practices. No, no, no. You don't follow the ideas of men. You follow the word of God. You don't even follow the patterns and cultures and practices of men. You follow the word of God. And God said, no leaven. God said, this is true. You do it God's way. Secondarily, we also see in Mark 8, it adds, instead of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, adds another one that would be a little unfamiliar to us, but I want to draw your attention to it. Mark 8, verse 15, he says, he cautioned them saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. 
which is an interesting notion and what it, and uh, which would confuse us but there was a historical figure from which the group associated with him were called the Herodians and the Herodians were known for this notion we can live however we want forgiveness is ours it doesn't matter what we do we can sin to our heart's content because forgiveness is ours. And, and Jesus says, beware of the leaven of Herod. The Herodians. The idea that you can just cast aside the will of God, the desires of God, the instructions of God, and do whatever you want, and it's all going to be okay? No. So the idea of, of unleavened carries powerful senses the haste in which God delivered them the the carefulness to attend only to what God has given and not to men's teaching and men's ideas the commitment to live according to what God has instructed and not simply follow our heart's desire that makes big distinction go also with me down to verse 43 if you would in Exodus 12 verse 43 says this, And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, This is the statute of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat of it. But every slave that is bought with money may eat of it after you've circumcised him. No foreigner or hired worker may eat it. It shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take the flesh outside of the house. You shall not break any of its bones. All of the congregation of Israel shall keep it. If a stranger, that is again a foreigner, sojourns with you, would keep the Passover. He wants to. He can't do it. God's made distinction. But if he wants to, then what? If he wants to keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised. He must leave his own culture, people, and customs and join himself to God's distinctive people that he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native to the land. He had to, in effect, deny his history, deny his heritage, and line himself up with God's people of distinction and that sign of the covenant that distinguished them. That was a big step for someone to do. But that's just showing how God makes distinction. Verse 49, there shall be one law for the native and for the stranger who is among you. And so here's, here's the re remarkable thing. If someone was to be joined together. They had to become like a Jew historically. As we come now to the New Testament. We see an amazing thing. Where it says look. Neither circumcision or uncircumcision is anything. But a new creation in Christ Jesus. That's how it, the book of Galatians is ending. And you say wait a second. So now under the new covenant, as we, as we think of what makes distinction, there's, there's no longer Jew or Gentile, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, for all are one in Christ. And so we see that the answer now, when we understand the new covenant, is not to go back to the sign of those old. Because we... Practically speaking, for most of us, we're never slaves in Egypt. 
We are, we, our people, our history, they were never delivered out of that. And we don't observe in the same way. But Jesus came in, and, and we've got the examples of that in Matthew 26. He comes into that last supper that he tells his disciples, I have been longing to observe this with you. And into that supper, he did something that many might have considered offensive. Whose Passover was it? The Lord's Passover. And Jesus came into that Passover. And instead of pointing backwards to deliverance. Instead of pointing backwards to that devotion and that distinction. Where did he point? He pointed at himself. And in himself, he pointed forward. Where he would establish in his blood what the New Testament calls a new and living way. The way of the Spirit. And you begin to see how dare anyone do that. This was something that was to be observed throughout their generations. And here's the difference. It's the Lord's Passover. And he, he faced this a lot. Jesus attacked and his disciples attacked your disciples are breaking the Sabbath. And what does Jesus say? Son of man is the Lord of the Sabbath. This is the Lord's Passover. And who is the one who is claiming it and reorienting it for himself? The Lord himself. So does the Lord have the right to take the Lord's Passover and in its place put what we would call the Lord's Supper. And so we get to now come in and observe this supper. And observe it with many of the same elements. What sits before us is a memorial of deliverance. It's a deliverance from death and judgment. It is a deliverance from slavery to sin. That held us captive. But when the grace of God. Came to us in the gospel. He set us free. It's a memorial of devotion. Those who were observing this. The scripture says regarding them. They were to examine themselves first. They were to, to consider. Whether they were observing rightly. The body of the Lord. There were some who were taking the Lord's supper. In the days and in the church at Corinth. Well, what did, it, what did the scripture say was happening there? Some were taking it and not observing it with their hearts and minds focused in the right way. On the body of our Lord and us as his body united by faith. They were taking it selfishly with disregard for others. And it said many are becoming sick. And then it said euphemistically and falling asleep. Which was a euphemism for what? Dying. And so he tells us to observe. It is of devotion. It represents the fact that this is the new covenant in his blood. The absolute washing and forgiveness of sin. The reconciliation with God. If someone is, gonna, is going to observe this and says, I am united to Christ. Uh, Christ's body was for me. His blood was for me. I am his and he is mine. All the while... Following their own hearts. And not following the heart of the Lord. 
What would happen in the old covenant memorial if someone did not follow the instruction of God for those seven days? They were cut off from among the people. This is a memorial of devotion. Now, now I'm not threatening that you will be cut off from among the people, but these are strong warnings. If you continue to walk in sin, you might find out that you end up being cut off from the local assembly of people through church discipline. And you might find out that you yourself were never truly joined in spirit with them. Because if you are united to Christ in faith, that power that saves you is that power that causes you from the heart. As, as we've seen in the book of Romans, again, Romans 6 through 8 that we've been looking at on Tuesday nights, that has caused us to become obedient from the heart to the form of teaching that we have been given. Changed. It is a memorial of devotion. You gave your life for me. Oh, that I might give my all and my life for you. Denying myself the things that I might even like because I would rather do what you say than just the things that I want temporarily. I will deny myself, take up my cross and follow you because you did not deny me, but you literally went to the cross despising its shame on my behalf. And not only that, but we see, we recognize it is a memorial, just like the previous one, a memorial of distinction. This is not to be taken by everybody. Taking this did not make someone an Israelite. If you weren't an Israelite, you were not supposed to take it. Until you went through a process what later became the proselytizing process of circumcision and becoming identified with the, with those people. The same thing with the Lord's Supper. It is a supper, memorial supper of distinction. It's not for the world. It's not for anyone. It's for those who by grace have received circumcision of the heart. Who have come under the conviction of sin. Who have been granted faith that they believe in God with their, own, their whole hearts. Who have by grace cast themselves upon him in trust and faith. It is of distinction. It, someone who thinks, and this sometimes happens. Let me eat of these things and by eating of these things I will be forgiven of my sin. Does the scripture ever say you're forgiven of your sin by eating bread? We confess our sin and we're forgiven. Our forgiveness is in his blood, which the cup represents. The forgiveness is not in the cup. And we never want to forget that. But he gives us, even as he gave them, these tangible things. That I would hope our children would, in, would ask us these questions. Why do we do that? Why do we have these little cups and these breads? And why do you take those things? And why don't we take those things? And, and why is there? Well, there's distinction. These are for those who are in Christ by faith. These are for those who are his body, who are united to him. And you know what? We pray in time that God will also make you one of his own. He will also bring you in. This is for those who are in Christ. Those who have a living faith. Those who have identified themselves with Christ by being baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is for God's people. Not for anybody else. It, if someone is 
willfully living in sin. Should they take this? The answer is no. They should take this time to think about how they're living and to call out to God to change their way. Because remember, even in the old picture, if someone was caught in the middle of that feast, and that was just seven days, eating leaven, what happened? They were cut off from among the people. They could not participate. Before they got to that, that day of the Passover meal, they'd be cut off from the people and they wouldn't get to partake in the Passover meal. See, because the distinction is important. And, and, and remember, this memorializes Christ's work on our behalf and our identification with him. And so what a blessed thing for us to enter into. And so as we, we prepare ourselves to take the Lord's Supper together, I want us to, to bear in mind those remarkable elements that we saw in the Old Covenant Passover that Christ then took to new, deeper, and more profound levels in the New Testament. A memorial of deliverance from death and judgment from slavery. A memorial of devotion. To do what he wants and to do it his way. And a more memorial of distinction. Where we are. God has made distinction among the people. And we in obedience to him. Live distinctively. We are entered in by that circumcision of the heart. And we live as those who are made new in Christ. Let's pray.